Hello, and welcome to the Falskirk Youth Camp Podcast. This week, we have 4,271 campers and adults from 83 churches. In this service, our camp pastor, David Sons, taught on the Father from Luke. And during this message, there were 80 spiritual decisions, including 34 professions of faith. All right, Falls Creek, happy Friday. How we doing? Everybody good? Into the week? Yeah? Uh, It's been a uh, great week. Thank you guys so much for letting this South Carolinian come hang out with you for a couple of days. It has been a joy uh, to spend these last five days together seeing what the Lord is doing in and among the churches uh, here at Falls Creek. Thankful to play a small part and what God has done this week, and we know that He is not done just yet. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you open it with me to Luke chapter 15? We will conclude. That's the kind of energy, that's Friday energy right there. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be tonight. We will conclude our study of this incredible chapter of Luke's gospel When was the last time that somebody really offended you? Like, just think back to the last time that somebody, I mean, like, really either insulted you or offended you. And it may have been this week. It might have been today. I don't know. Like, when was the last time you really got offended or insulted by someone else? And then how did you respond to their insult or their offense? Uh, not too long ago, I, I got a, 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 an email from someone who was unhappy with something that I had uh, preached on, and they were very just kind of rude in their email. And when I got the email, I just kind of thought, like, at first I was angry. Like, I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, let me fire back an email and just let him know that, like, who, who he's talking to. But then I thought, well, that's not really that big of a deal. And then and then I was dismissive, and I was like, well, you know, that guy's just an idiot. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, it's fun. And, and, then, and then it was like the Lord, like the Holy Spirit kind of had to work on me for a little bit, and it was like, why don't you just pray for this guy and, and, and pray that the Lord would, like, bless and work in his life. And I just remember, like, walking through those stages, right, of just, like, anger, dismissal, and then eventually, I think, arriving at the place of praying for this brother who was upset with me and had offended or insulted me. And oftentimes, our response to being rejected, insulted, humiliated, or offended often reveals our character. And tonight, we're going to see how the father in the story of the prodigal sons, how his response to the offense of both of his sons in the story reveals his character. Now Luke chapter 15 consists of three parables. All of them have a similar structure. We've walked through them these few nights together. Something is lost, something is found, and there is much rejoicing. And we talked about on Monday night how Jesus is telling the parable to both the unrighteous, the tax collectors and the sinners, and to the self-righteous, the Pharisees and the scribes who have gathered around him. And here in the final parable of Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal sons, we see that the main character in the story is not the younger son or the older son, but the father. And in our time together tonight, I want us to study and reflect on the character 
of the father. Now, for the sake of time, we won't read back through the entire parable. We've covered the younger son on Wednesday, the older son last night, but I just want to cover a couple of verses here in the middle. So look with me to Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20. We're going to read through verse 24, and then we're going to skip down to verse 31. Look with me in verse 20. This is the end of Jesus telling the story of the younger son. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now skip down with me to verse 31, how the father addresses the older son. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the last few nights that we've had to study this passage of Scripture, these three parables. And so, Father, I pray tonight as we conclude our time together this week that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to receive that which you have for us by your spirit through your word help us to see tonight jesus as savior and lord in his name we ask all these things amen now remember parables parables are stories that communicate a greater truth or reality and so each of the characters in the parable represents someone in real life. We understand that the younger brother in the story represents the tax collectors and sinners who had gathered around Jesus. The older brother in the story represents the Pharisees and the scribes. And the father in the story represents God the Father. And the father is the main character in the story. And so Jesus wants to communicate something very clearly about his father. And so let's ask these three questions of the text to get to what it is that Jesus wants us to see about the Father. First question we need to ask is this, how does the Father respond to his sons? How does the Father respond to his sons? Secondly, what does the Father's response reveal about his character? What does the Father's response reveal about his character? And third, what invitation does the Father offer? And as we answer these three questions, how does the Father respond to his sons? What does the Father's response reveal about his character? And what invitation does he offer? What we're going to see tonight, I hope, as we study this passage of Scripture, is that the compassion and kindness of the Father is displayed through his response and invitation to his sons. That the compassion and kindness of the Father is displayed in His response 
an invitation to his sons. So let's begin here. How does the father respond first to the younger son? Now remember, the younger son had rejected his father's love. He has repudiated their relationship. He has publicly humiliated his father. He has taken his money and he has run off to the far country. And so how might you expect the father to respond to the younger son? You know, I think what's interesting about the father in the story is that when the son makes the request of the father to give him his share of the inheritance, the father did not have to comply. He was under no compulsion to have to give the son what he asked for, but he does. He gives the son exactly what he has asked for, knowing more than likely that his son is going to squander it. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us that sometimes the most loving thing that you can do as a parent is let your kids learn hard lessons. And so the father grants the son's request and he runs off to the far country. But eventually, we read that the money runs out. He's feeding the pigs. He comes to his senses and he realizes that everything that he wanted, everything that he was looking for in the far country was in his father's house all along. And he determines that he's going to go back to his father. And so he works up this speech in his head and he heads for home. What does Jesus say in verse 20? He says that he got up and went to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him. Now, what does this tell us about the father? That while he was a long way off, his father saw him. What does this imply? It implies that the father was doing what? He was looking for him. He was waiting for him. Perhaps every night he would step out on the porch after a long day in the field and his eyes would go up the road to see whether or not his son had crested the hill and was headed for home. And on this night, as he stands out and he looks to the horizon, he sees his son a long way off. And then Jesus says that when he sees his son, what does he feel? He feels compassion. What is compassion? It's love. Now, there's a lot of things in the story that the father could have felt when he saw his younger son coming home, but his inclination is to compassion. He sees him while he was a long way off. He feels compassion to his son. What does he do? He runs. Now, if I were the father, if I'm putting myself in the story, if I were the father, standing on the porch, looking to the horizon, and I see my son coming over the hill, number one, I'm probably not feeling compassion, but then number two, I'm definitely not running. I'm standing on that porch with my arms crossed going, uh-huh, yeah, come on home, boy. Come on home. Learned a hard lesson, didn't you? Let's hear this story. No, 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 that's not how the father in the story responds. He sees his son. He loves his son. And he runs. Now in this time, it was undignified for men to run. But the father doesn't care about any of that. He runs to his son and he embraces him in the middle of the road. And, and he embraces him so quickly that the son doesn't even have time to start his speech. Like you can hear it, right? He runs, he throws his arms around him. He begins to hug and kiss his son. And his son he tries to push him off like, Dad, Dad, don't. I, I've got a whole speech prepared. And he starts to tell him, 
And I love that about the Father. The Father immediately embraces the Son before the Son can give His explanation about where He's been. The Father embraces Him. No questions asked. No explanations given. And, and I think this is one of the most difficult things that I've found as a follower of Jesus. This is the one of the most difficult things that I've found as a child of God. One of the most difficult things I think that we face right now is the feeling that we owe God an explanation when we repent. That He's waiting on us to give Him an explanation before He embraces us. That we've got to convince Him that we're sorry and that we'll never do it again before He wraps His arms around us. Before He can love us again and welcome us home. But the Father demands no explanation. His Son has turned and is coming up the road and His Father runs to greet Him. And He embraces Him and He welcomes Him home. We see how the father embraces the younger son. Now what about the older son? Look with me in verse 28. After all this occurs, he calls, he throws a party. The, younger, the older son in the field hears it. He comes home, doesn't want to go in. Verse 28, he became angry and he didn't want to go into the party. So his father, listen to this, his father came out and entreated him. Came out and pleaded with him. You see, the older brother stays outside the celebration. He refuses to go in. In a way, he is rejecting his father. He's repudiating the re relationship. And he's trying to humiliate his father because his father, as the host of the party, should never leave the party. But here he has to leave the party to go out and talk to his older son who refuses to come in. Now, the father could have gone out to the older son and commanded that he come in. The father had the authority to go out and command the older son to come into the house, but that's not what he does. He doesn't demand. He comes out and he pleads. The word here means to comfort or exhort. Just as he invited his younger son to come home, he invites his older son to come in. You see, the father loves his sons. His desire is for reconciliation and for restoration but he knows that reconciliation and restoration will not come if the older son cannot see past his own entitlement, past his own resentment, that the father can't force him to come in, but he pleads with him. The father leaves the party suffering humiliation to invite his son in. And I think the response of the father to the younger brother and the older brother reveals two things about his character. What does this reveal to us about the character of the Father? Number one, it reveals to us that He is compassionate. It says that He was filled with compassion. The Father loves His sons. He is concerned with their sufferings. Oftentimes when we think about God, the first thing we think about God is often not about His compassion. When we consider God, oftentimes we consider first His holiness or His power or His sovereignty. And all these things are true and right and good about God. But just as often as we think about God's power and His might and His sovereignty, we would be blessed and be right to dwell upon His compassion. 
Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And to be honest, some of us may struggle with this idea of God being compassionate because our earthly fathers were not great examples of compassion. You see, our culture has believed a lie that compassionate men are weak men. And so we teach boys who become adolescent men, who become men, that any sign of compassion or vulnerability is weakness. And so we teach our men to be tough, stoic, immovable. But Jesus who is the manliest man who has ever walked the earth, a number of times in the New Testament is moved by compassion. He's moved to tears. And so we look at the character of Jesus. We see Jesus over and over and over being moved by compassion. For a long time, early on in my own kind of uh, uh, rite of passage into, into manhood, my college years and early 20s and even early into my marriage, I just kind of prided myself on being the guy that, that, was, that was stoic. It wouldn't cry at anything. You couldn't get me anything. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be tough. But over the last few years, God has really softened my heart as I look at the depiction of Jesus. And as I have had sons... I want my children, my boys, to see the compassion of their heavenly Father exemplified in the compassion of their earthly Father. I don't want them to grow up regarding compassion as weakness. Because we see that the Father in the story is filled with compassion. And His compassion moves Him to the second thing. His compassion moves Him to act with kindness. Not only is the Father compassionate, He is also kind. When the younger son begins his speech, he kind of pushes the father off of him, and he begins his speech with, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father doesn't even listen to his speech. I love it. He practiced this whole speech, and the father doesn't even give it the time of day. He just immediately turns to his servants, and he says, bring the best robe. Bring a ringer. Bring the ring and put it on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to party. My son who is dead is alive again. Father doesn't even let him finish his speech before he closed him with his very best. And it was this memory, this memory of the father's kindness that drew the younger son home in the first place. What does he say when he's in the pigsty? What does he say when he's feeding the pigs? He says, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough to eat? He thinks about his his father's kindness to his servants. And he knows that if he's kind to his servants, he'll be kind to his son because the father is full of compassion all of his works are kind psalm 145 verse 17 says the lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his acts how does he respond to the older son in verse 29 the older son says you i have never disobeyed you yet you never gave me what does he say in verse 31 He says, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. 
What is he saying to the older son? In essence, what he's saying to the older son is all that is mine is available to you if you would ask. But we saw last night that the older son was determined to earn what he could only receive. He would rather earn it in his pride than receive it with humility. The father says, all that I have is yours if you would ask. But you won't ask. The older brother in the story is so close. If he'd only asked his father, his father would have given him. But instead, in his pride, he sought to earn what could only be received. Jesus here is talking directly to the Pharisees. They knew the law. They were so close to understanding Jesus as the Messiah, the way of salvation, but they refused to ask in humility. And instead, they were determined to earn by their achievement. And here, Jesus is again pleading with them to stop trying to earn what they can only receive to repent of their self-righteousness and follow after Him. Why does He do so? Because He's compassionate and kind in all of His ways. In all of his works. And this leads us finally to the invitation of the father in the story. Look at how the father invites the younger and the older son. The father's compassion and his kindness leads him to extend an invitation to both sons. The father invites the younger son home. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, let's celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I love that. Do you notice what he says? There's a change that has happened in the son's standing. The father says he was dead, but he is alive. He was lost, but is found. There's been a change that has occurred in the younger son's standing. He's been redeemed. He's restored. He's made new. He's been welcomed home. And the father thinks that this is something that is worth celebrating, and so does the entire household. And so they go out, and the father says, bring the robe, bring the ring. We're having steak tonight. My boy's home. He sees this as something worth celebrating. And I think this teaches us an important lesson about our Heavenly Father. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers, says that God is always more ready to forgive than we are to confess. The Father is quick to welcome the Son home in His repentance. And I think this leads to another one of the most difficult challenges in the Christian life. It's it's for us as believers learning to receive God's forgiveness because we always feel like we need to earn it. Like our repentance needs to come with an explanation. It's so hard for us sometimes to to really believe. I know we say we believe it, but it's so hard sometimes for us to truly believe that we are fully forgiven. That in Jesus Christ, we are fully redeemed. That by His blood and faith in Him, we are fully restored and that we are fully welcomed in to the Father's house. But the Father invites the younger son home and He embraces him and He redeems him 
and he restores him. But not only that, he invites the older son in. You see, the father doesn't want the older son to miss the party. And the whole household here is celebrating. Jesus here is giving us a depiction of what heaven will one day be like. Earlier in the parables, he talks about the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Here again, at the end of this story, he gives us a picture of heaven, but not in the way that we always think about heaven, because when we think about heaven, we think about heaven in very individualistic terms at times. Oftentimes we think about heaven, we think about our mansion in glory, and I'm going to ride a cloud around the solar system, and I'm going to talk to Jesus and ask him about dinosaurs, and we think about all these kind of things in individualistic terms. But when the Bible describes the new heavens and the new earth, you know how it describes it? It describes the new heavens and the new earth as a communal event, as a wedding feast, as a wedding reception, as a party where there is food and there is dancing and there is joy and we are all there together celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Isaiah chapter 25, it says, On this mountain the Lord of armies will prepare for all peoples a feast of choice meat. Can I get an amen? Amen. A feast with well-aged wine. Can I get it? Well, we're Baptists. Hang on. Well-aged wine. Prime cuts of choice meat. Fine vintage wine. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He says when we get there, there's going to be a feast There's going to be a party. And the party at the end of the parable is foreshadowing that day when all of God's people will come together in His house and celebrate the feast. And the father doesn't want the older son to miss out. And so he beckons him in. He beckons him to come in. Repent of your self-righteousness. Stop trying to earn what you can only receive. Your brother is dead and is alive. Come in, feast, and celebrate. And then what happens in the story? The story ends. It just ends. Jesus just stops the story. And if you're kind of like really invested in the story, you might go like, well, how does it end? Does the older brother go in? Why would Jesus just stop telling the story? And it's because, of course, parable is just that. It's a parable. It's a story meant to depict a greater reality. It's a story that's playing out in real time as Jesus speaks to the younger brothers, the tax collectors and the sinners, and invites them to repent of their unrighteousness and come home to find what only Jesus can give them. And as he speaks to the older brothers, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he calls them to repent of their self-righteousness, repent of their grumbling, stop trying to earn what you can only receive and come into the party and rejoice that we were once dead and are alive. What has, was, was lost has been found. Jesus is pleading with them to come home, to come in, to hear and repent, to come into the party, 
to eat and be filled. But it only happens if they repent. And the offer of repentance is left here for the tax collectors and the sinners, for the Pharisees and the scribes, and for each one of us who reads this story afresh. You see, the compassion and the kindness of the, of the Father is displayed through His response and His invitation to His sons. And so as we reflect on the character of the Father and we overlay these characteristics onto our Heavenly Father, it teaches us, I think, three clear things about the compassion and the kindness of God. First, the compassion and the kindness of the Father leads us to repentance. It leads us to stop chasing after things that will never satisfy. To turn and come home and to turn and come in. And to stop running in our unrighteousness or in our self-righteousness. And to feel the embrace of our Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so for some of you tonight, and perhaps even for this week, God's compassion and His kindness is leading you to repentance. Secondly, the compassion and the kindness of the Father leads us to trust Him. We see that He is compassionate in all His ways and kind in all His works. That He's not standing before us with this kind of low-key disappointment in you. He's not standing before you waiting to jerk the rug out from underneath your feet. He's standing and He's asking you to trust Him. To trust that He knows what's best. That He wants what's best for you. That He loves you more than you could ever imagine. The kindness and compassion of the Father leads us to trust Him. And third, the compassion and the kindness of the Father gives us an example that we as the sons and daughters of God, those who have put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, ought to then live as compassionate and kind people, extending the same grace and mercy that's been extended to us by our Father who loves us, who beckons us home, calls us to repentance and is made a way by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that sinners who were dead can be made alive. That those who were lost can be found. And so if that's you tonight, you've heard the invitation each night this week. You've heard over and over again this week in our time together, in your cabins, in your Bible studies, from your leaders, that God loves you. And He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to deal with the greatest problem that you'll ever have, the problem of your sinfulness. That when you couldn't solve that problem yourself, you can't ignore it, you can't fix it yourself, you can't run from it, he sent Jesus to live a perfect life, 
die an atoning death and be raised to life that by faith in him you might be saved and so we're not going to belabor the point tonight in just a moment I'm going to ask if you are in this room you've heard the gospel each and every night this week you've seen that the father loves you and he's calling you home he wants you to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus and so if you would say tonight for the first time in my life I want to put my faith in him I want to stop running from God in my sin. I want to stop trusting things that will not satisfy, that cannot bring life. Tonight, for the first time, I'm ready to put my hope in Jesus. To ask him to forgive me of my sin. To commit to following him as my Lord. If that's you, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And when we do, I just want you to come to the front. There are folks that will meet you here. They would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you. They would love to hear about what the Lord has been doing in your life, in your heart. If that's you, in just a moment, when we stand to sing, I just want you to slip out from where you are, come down to the front. If you're nervous, grab a friend, bring them with you. Grab your youth pastor, grab your youth leader, grab a volunteer, ask them to come with you. But don't let tonight, don't let this week pass you by without responding to the call of Jesus on your life. It's a call to follow. It's a call of faith. Will you come? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good and right and true and that it instructs sinners in the way. And so, Father, I pray that tonight you would make very clear in these next few moments to students who are here who have never put their faith and hope and trust in you, Father, that you are a kind and compassionate Father, full of grace and mercy, that before they ever thought to love you, you loved them so much that while they were still sinners, Christ died. So, Father, I pray that tonight there would be students maybe even leaders in this room who for the first time would call out to you in faith, asking you to forgive their sins, believing on Jesus, and committing to follow him as Lord of their life. I pray that they would come now, give them boldness and courage to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Oklahoma Baptist Youth, and for more information, visit oklahomabaptist.org youthcamp. Thanks for listening.